Hi, this is Alex Grassi, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Chuck Wright, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, how you doing? This is Frankie Benelli from Quiet Riot, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks, the best rock in town. Welcome to episode 401 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 401, two special guests we have joining us from Quiet Riot. Uh, We have the one and only Frankie Benali. Uh, Frankie and the band are releasing One Night in Milan on the 25th of January. They're also going to be doing a show at Jurgles in Warrendale uh, the following Friday, February 1st. So we get into uh, into that end of the conversation. Also joining us will be Brian Christensen of the band No Quarter, uh, who will be doing a show in Pittsburgh at the Hard Rock Cafe, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first, uh, Quiet Riot, uh, for those of you who live, I guess, under a rock, obviously Kevin Abro passed away, and the band has gone through... Uh, several singers, and, and uh, if you get a chance to see the uh, the movie Now We're Here, There's No Way Back, um, it's a very interesting look at the band's struggles at finding a, a suitable replacement uh, for Kevin, which is, I don't even want to say the word replacement, because you're, you're trying to replace a, a very iconic personality, a very larger-than-life person, uh, similar to replacing Dee Snyder and Twisted Sister. It's just not going to happen, but uh, to find a, a qualified singer, uh, to go up and do the songs justice, and uh, they've turned to uh, uh, James Durbin, who was a, a singer uh, who kind of rose to fame on American Idol, which is uh, kind of a similar path to, to what Queen is doing, actually. Uh, and James in the band will be releasing One Night in Milan, a live album and CD. Uh, and I really think uh, it gives uh, some some bright look to the future with uh, with him on vocals. I think the songs sound fantastic. He's got a very uh, uh, I would say respectful renditions of the songs and makes them very enjoyable to listen to. So we're going to play you Mama We're All Crazy now. We're going to get in right into that interview with Frankie Benali.
and gentlemen, my honor to welcome Dire City Rocks. We have on the line the drummer of uh, Quiet Ride, Frankie Benelli. How you doing, Frankie? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. You are getting set to uh, release a, a fantastic album, a live album from Milan, uh, which I want to talk about uh, on the 25th of January, and then a week later you're going to be in Warndale at Jerkles to do a show so uh, people can hear you live and then go see you live. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know the, the album itself? I mean, this is uh, you know kind of the, a lot of folks' first chance to to witness James uh, with the band. Can you talk about the decision to do a live album with him, or was it something you plan on doing, or was it just recorded and it came out so good? Um, as, well, essentially, what happened is um, we had released a, a studio album last uh august august of 2018 called mm -hmm. road rage that uh that james sang on <clears throat> and the uh label we're on frontiers with an italian uh rock mm -hmm. label they uh they wanted to know if i'd be interested in having quiet riot perform at their uh rock festival in milan right. uh and i agreed to it and then they further asked uh would i be interested in recording the performance for a live cd <clears throat> dvd and blu-ray uh, which I agreed to, but with the only one condition, and that condition was that it would be a true live album. In okay. other words, um, that uh, I didn't want them to send me the the files mm -hmm. uh, for me to go into the studio and redo guitar solos or fix background vocals or redo uh, lead vocals. And this is one of the reasons I titled the record One Night in Milan because that is exactly what you're getting. You're getting uh, um, a real, true interpretation of Quiet Riot um, live without any fixes. Uh, mm. uh, and uh, to me, that's the way a live record should be. The minute you take it into the studio and you fix anything, even if it's one thing, it, it ceases to become a live record by definition. Do you feel, um, and that's a, a noble thing, but does it make it tough that when you when you do that and you take that stance that you're going up against some obviously very studio-manufactured, quote, live albums as kind of a benchmark? Mm -hmm. Do you feel that, or does that not really enter into your decision? It doesn't. It doesn't enter. Um, it doesn't enter into my decision because, in in you know, my feelings is a live record should be a live record. I I have nothing against somebody else going in and, and fixing it. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's like it's like putting on a lot of makeup. Right. Um, you wanna you wanna really put out your best face, so to speak. Uh, but you know, Choir Ride is a touring band. Choir Ride has always been a live band. And and I always say to all my guys, you know, um, let's go out there and and play to the best of our abilities because no one is great every night on every song. Mm -hmm. um, but I just wanted it to be a a true live record. And and I know you're taking a chance. I know that <clears throat> if you have somebody that already doesn't like Quiet Riot, uh, they will seize the opportunity to point out all the little wrinkles in it and and. That's fine. I really don't care about that. I wanted it to be uh, a live record in every sense of the word. And again, the minute you fix anything in the studio, it ceases to be a live record by definition. Sadly, a lot of people have been fixing live records for so long that, that live records have become a fix. Uh, but yeah. that's, that's not the case with, uh, with Quiet Riot. Yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of, of you know, some of the... Some of the preeminent live classic albums are a little more than a greatest hits with some applause tracks mixed in um you know so it's 
I think a really cool idea to just say, you know, we're going to hit record, warts and all, here it is. Um, but having said and, that, and it's, and it's honest. Yeah. Well, and it's honest because you know the venue. The venue wasn't a huge venue, um, so you know you're only going to get you're only going to get X amount of of the audience mm-hmm. response. Uh, and also, there were no audience mics, so anything that you're getting from the audience, you're getting what's feeding into into the vocal mics that are on stage. Right. But I'm fine with that because that's that's what it was like on that particular evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know the result came out fantastic, and I think you know I, I think for better or worse, I think a lot of people are going to measure whomever is at the vocals. Is you know how do they compare to Kevin? And I think you know James came off. You know, obviously, incredibly powerful singer. I mean, we all knew that before he, you know, became a member of your band. Um, but he does the songs justice. You know, there's there's a certain reverence to it, um, power to his voice. Um, you know, we're we're happy with the way it turned out. And I think his fans, you know, who go back to the first albums, you know, this sits well. You yeah. Know, at least you know. Yeah, I. In my head, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you know one of the reasons I was uh, I was excited about the possibility of having James in the band mm-hmm. is because <clears throat> more than anyone, I knew um, of the incredible vocal capabilities that Kevin Dubrow had. He had a ridiculously mm-hmm. um, broad range, um, but he was also uh, uh, he loved being on stage. He was an amazing performer. So I already knew that James um, had the vocal range to be able to do justice to to the uh, the Quiet Riot material, and I also knew that he was a performer, which is which is part of what made Quiet Riot Quiet Riot. Uh, it's it's uh, Kevin's vocals and Kevin's performance. So right. um, I couldn't be happier with the way things are going with this lineup and uh, James uh, uh, starting his second year with us. So uh, so far, so good. Yeah, it's a well-oiled machine. Um, can you take us back? Uh, it's a couple of years old now. The film, um, and can you talk a little bit about how that uh, maybe changed the perception that, you, or at least the feel you get from fans about the band? I thought it was an incredibly well done film, rivaling probably only Anvil's uh, movie as far as you know the real nuts and bolts of a, a working band I, I thought it was tremendous uh and, and how you guys did that um but can you talk a little bit about maybe differences you see in, in the fans comments you get after the movie from people well here here's the thing with with me i'm a br- brutally honest person whether mm. whether you like what i say <clears throat> or 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 you like what i do or you don't and again, going with the thread of of the live Quiet Ride record, One Night in Milan, not having any fixes, the movie was the same way. Um, the, the director Regina Russell, um, the deal that I made with her is, I said, listen, uh, as long as you and your crew don't get in my way, you can film anything that you want, uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use any veto powers to take anything out of the film. Uh, I want it to be honest. And I actually didn't see, uh, after the first month of filming, and this went on for quite a while, after the first right. month of filming, um, I stopped looking at anything, and I actually didn't see the film until it was, it was completed uh, and delivered. Um, and there's, there's things in there that, that make me uh, incredibly uncomfortable. There's mm-hmm. things in there that, that, that make me laugh, and there's things in there that make me uh, literally cry. Uh, but it's it's an honest it's an honest story, uh, and nothing nothing was sugar coated, nothing was changed to make 
anyone look better or worse uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And and I think what it did is it gave the fans, you know, fans have this, and and I and you know, I'm a music fan, so yeah. you know I I used to have the same the the same views before I became a professional musician about the bands that I like, you know what their lives must have been like, and yeah. you know what what their daily things are. Um, but you know once I became a professional musician and after decades of doing so, I realized that that it's far different than what you can imagine. And I think the same thing happened with fans because they thought that you know we we were all living these wonderful lives in these huge houses driving. Mm-hmm these amazing cars and every night was a party and and it really really isn't uh it's it's a completely it's a completely different situation we we've had an incredible amount of successes and we've had an incredible amount of of heartbreaks um along the way and i think that after seeing the film and how honest the film is you know they said you know i really didn't know that i didn't take into account this or that and i think they have a better understanding not just of Quiet Riot, but but a better understanding of of what it's like to be uh, a musician, uh, to be in this business, and especially during the '80s and then yeah. the decline of that genre of music. Yeah, and I think that that really I think is 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 a great point you bring up. I think a lot of people think, you know, if I hear you on the radio, you're going to be in a limousine 24 hours a day or a giant mansion, not driving your daughter to school or making dinner or you know worried about homework getting done but that is the reality yeah, yeah. you know of you know that maybe you weren't when you were 22 yeah. but you know at 52 this is reality you know yeah when uh, you know when I when I was younger and I wasn't married and I didn't have a girlfriend and all of those things uh you know it was one long party and this was even before success so right. you can imagine what it was like after success came but you know um uh, people people grow up and uh, and people get older and uh, and you know they have you know musicians uh, if you're a responsible adult uh, to any degree you're going to have the same responsibilities and and the same uh, uh, and and the same hardships as as anyone uh, else on 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 many levels and yeah. and I think that's something that came through. Uh, through in the movie, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I have I have to take my dogs out in the morning, and after they do their business, I got to pick it up just like everybody else. Yeah, and I, I think that you know, that, I don't have a valet. I don't have a valet <laughs> that goes out there and picks it up for me. No, no. Now you mentioned you know some some things in the in the movie that made you squirm when you, moving forward or back to the live album when you got a chance to listen to it, mixing, mastering, uh, whenever you really had your first chance to listen back to the recording. Are there parts? Is that difficult for you? Not even just this album, you know, the US Festival live album. Are there parts that, when you listen to yourself, that make you uncomfortable? Like, do you critique critique it to death, or do you just kind of reminisce about what the night was like? Or is that is that a painful process for you to listen to back to your live performances? Not to live, not to live performances, because you know, I I understand that that. You know, to me, in order to keep the music alive, and especially music that that you know, oral music that's been around <clears throat> over over three and a half decades, yeah. In order to keep it fresh, you know, obviously you have to play all the key parts of a song, uh, but to keep it fresh, you know, you you want you want a little movement, you want something different to happen, right? And when something different happens, that's that's adding that's adding another spice. 
uh, to the creation, um, and and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But to me, it's worth taking those chances. So mm-hmm. I never, you know, I mean, unless something goes terribly, terribly wrong, where there's such a truck wreck right. that you may as well stop the song and start again, which hasn't happened, thank God. Yeah. Um, all of those things is what what what's great about uh, live music, true live music, because. When I used to, you know, I'm a fan of music, and when I used to listen to to like uh, bootleg uh, live Led Zeppelin records, and I and I'd hear something that technically wasn't a mistake, but it wasn't it wasn't you know exactly exactly the same. To me, that was exciting. To me, that was of the moment. To me, that was human. To me, that's what makes it fun for the musician, and what makes it fun, I think, for the audience. If uh, there's there's some audiences and, and there's some bands that will play the click tracks and will have um, will have added uh, instruments and added background vocals, you know, uh, uh, going on while they're playing live, right. and they play everything exactly the same as they recorded it. If the if the song on the record was three minutes and forty seconds, it was three minutes and forty seconds live. That's fine for them if that that's their choice, but for me. Uh, it has to be human and it has to be of the moment because that's when some of the magic really happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you wholly. I, I love it when, you know, a band will kind of extend a part or change it up. Now, I mean, there are certain things you maybe don't want to hear different. I don't know that, you know, it would be kind of maybe odd to hear the solo of a particular song. Some of the more melodic solos, it's radically different, mm-hmm. but Alex does a, a fantastic job of capturing. You know, you know, it's just enough of Alex's playing, you know, which, you know, has always been superb, but he's got, you know, he plays the classics with reverence and, and you know, similar to the way James approaches vocals, it's still James, but it's, there's a, a homage to Kevin in, in, in the way he does it. And that's, that's uh, extremely classy. It rem- you know, a lot of, it reminds me somewhat of how Ron Wood uh, would approach. Uh, Approach some of the you know the older stone stuff. It's it's still Ronnie, but it's got a little flavor of you know the yeah, original. That's, and that's that's a great comparison. And I and I got to tell you, I mean, I'm really proud of my guys. I'm really proud mm-hmm. of Chuck Wright uh, and Alex Grossi and and James. And it's and it's really funny because I didn't announce to them that I had no intentions of um, of fixing anything. Um, uh, before we did the show, I mean, not immediately before we did the show, but right. <clears throat> while we were in Italy, um, I said to them, you know, I want you, I want you to be aware that um, I have no intentions of, of fixing, uh, fixing anything, and and uh, and I got all these big wide eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I got three sets of wide eyes, and I said, you know, so um, you know, um, I'm not asking, I'm not asking for perfection, but I'm asking everyone to bring their A game. And yeah. that's exactly what they did. Yeah, that is true. Tr- truly, more live without a net than the actual live without a net. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, Frankie, I want to thank you uh, so much for your time. Your your new album, Live Milan, One Night in Milan, is coming out uh, the 25th of January, uh, and then we'll look for you in Warrendale just a week later on Friday night, February 1st. Man, thank you so much. Finally, the Who is moving on. Set for a true Who experience like never before. May 30th, PPG Paints Arena. Pete Townsend, Roger Daltrey. Tickets are on sale now at LiveNation.com, Ticketmaster.com, or the box office. The Icons, the show, the Who. Moving on.
All right, a big shout-out to Frankie Benali again. Quiet Riot will be releasing One Night in Milan on the 25th of January, and then they're coming into a show a week later on February 1st at Jurgles and Warndale. Tickets are still available for that show, and again, uh, that's with Chuck Wright, who is the uh, bassist uh, on several tracks on Metal Health, uh, Frankie, obviously, on drums. Alex Grassi, who's been with the band, I believe, since 2004. Um, he was actually a guest on a, on the early days of the Iron City Rocks podcast when he was still a member of Bang Tango. Uh, so uh, we go back with him a long ways. A fantastic guitarist, great guy. And also uh, with James Durbin of American Idol fame. Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed the um, rendition of Mama We're All Crazy we played for you and get a sense for what you're in for that night, which sounds fantastic. So we're going to turn our attention now to another band that is uh, coming into the Pittsburgh area. They're doing a show at the Hard Rock Cafe. The band is called No Quarter. Um, you can find information on them at theledzeppelinexperience.com. Uh, they are, a, uh, as the name obviously implies, a Led Zeppelin uh, tribute band and one of the finest out there. They'll be doing a show on January 26th at 8 o'clock at the Hard Rock Cafe. I can get tickets for that are still available. So we're going to talk to uh, the guitarist now, Brian Christensen, about what kind of goes into to doing a show like this, the amount of work and dedication. So... Let's get into that interview with Brian Christensen of No Quarter. From the band No Quarter, we have Brian Christensen on the line. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for taking the time uh, to call me from all the way across the country. Um, you guys are going to be coming to the fair city of Pittsburgh, uh, the snowy city of, of Pittsburgh, here in a couple of weeks uh, to do a show on the 26th at the Hard Rock Cafe, the No Quarter, a tribute to Led Zeppelin's legacy. Um you play the, uh, I should say, the role, the part, uh, the guitar, uh, the Jimmy Page uh, slot. We'll leave it at that uh, for the band. Um, can you yes, talk all of that? Yes. Can, can you talk a little <laughs> bit about how um, you know you came to be in, in in this kind of act? I know you. Know, it seems tribute bands have become more and more popular uh, over the last, you know four or five years especially because a lot of these artists can't tour like they did you know i don't even know if i was alive the last time led zeppelin was in pittsburgh um you know i did catch page and plant on a tour in like 1998 i think it was but um you know so i think the popularity of these kind of bands and and some of the often you know the the level of detail and craftsmanship has become so good in some of these bands um but what what brought you to this point in your career it was another tribute band, actually. Um, uh, the band called Rain, uh, they did a tribute to the Beatles. I'm huge. I'm friends with the guys, and I'm also a fan of the band. And it inspired me to look at the world of tributes. And mm. I thought to myself, if I had ever put a band together, it had to be to my favorite band, which is Led Zeppelin. And um, I started putting auditions together for people, and... Um, found the right people to jump it, it's a certain mindset to get into the really get into the tribute world there's a mindset and you got almost got to think of yourself as, a, as an actor um on a set and you just got to get into your character and, and you know i mean i never played guitar like jimmy page does so i'd right. really overcome a lot of you know habits to uh to, to embellish what this man does right um you know and every everybody goes through it so um, I was inspired by the Beatles. Uh, put together a band called, you know, to called No Quarter. Ironically, you said you saw Page and Plant. I saw them too, and it was the No Quarter tour where it came from. That's what yeah. inspired me to call it No Quarter. And you know, it, we've been touring ever since. Yeah, 
when, when you're putting together a band, I mean, let's say that it's just you and, and you're not setting out to do a tribute band. You've got to worry about do you all like the same kind of music? Can you all get along personally? But to do what you're doing, it almost takes it a level further because you can't have a guy that looks like Carrot Top be Robert Plant. You can't have, you know, exactly. a six foot six burly guy be your bass player. Uh, you know, a skinny, nope. demure, demure guy be your drummer. You know, you've really got to find someone that looks the part, plays the part, and you can get along. This has got to be harder than forming a normal band. It's incredibly hard. It took, um, you know, the lineup we've had has been going pretty strong over the last few years, and that's, what, that's what's nice. But, um, yeah, it's incredibly hard to. You know, to to put that together, it was a chemistry on top of it all. You know, you have to get along socially, of course. Also, have to, you know, everybody, everybody, especially for Led Zeppelin, that yeah. they're they're each individually a master musician. I mean, John Bonham right. is one of the best, if not the best, drummer ever known. Jimmy Page is a god, you know, guitar in my opinion, and John Paul Jones is one of the most talented musicians. I mean, multifaceted keyboards, bass, man, right. acoustic guitar. Um, and then Robert Plant is, you know, there's He's, very few people that can hit what Robert Plant does. And yeah. yeah, it's the needle in the haystack trying to find it. But when you find it, it's great. And we found it. It's really, really fortunate and humbling to be able to, to, be able to do this. Can um, you, and the reception has been pretty good so far, too. Can you talk about the nuances? You mentioned, you know, things you had to learn. Or, or dare I even say unlearn as a guitarist. Because Jimmy's style of playing... You know, some people may say his soloing is, dare I say, sloppy, but he's one of the greatest riff writers ever. Um, as, as a natural and player, both yeah, of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's not I, meant as a knock on him, but you know he's no, not he, a he he's not Steve Vai when it comes to playing. You know, so if you're a you know a pristine you know learning all your scales kind of player, he's probably not something that you do naturally. Um, was that a, a lot of work to kind of learn that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up with, you know, Al Damiola and Eric Johnson and things like that, where you really focus just on the guitar. You want, um, you know, and then you go into Page, and, you know, he still is one of the most amazing guitar players, um, but he does have this certain sloppy, cool thing about the way he plays on stage, and just his, you know, he, he's all over the stage. It's, it's really weird, but when I saw I saw the movie The Song Remains the Same, called classic film, and it was like both Robert and Jimmy, to me, emulated Elvis Presley. It was like yeah. Jimmy was Elvis when he had the guitar on, all over the stage and dancing and doing all that stuff, and Robert was Elvis when he had the microphone. Yeah. So you almost had two Elvises on stage, you know, and they were both, ironically, I read later that they were both hugely inspired by Elvis Presley. Right. So um, I think it's an Elvis Presley song that got Jimmy to play guitar. That's how he first picked up the guitar. So it's like it's really cool to to see how you know how they've done it and to try and to be able to do it and and practice and practice and practice. It's years of doing it to where you're not thinking about it. Yeah. But um, most of all is the response. We really engage the audience more than anything else. When there's a lot of people that saw Led Zeppelin, and they're coming with their T-shirts they have that they, when they went to see them. Like this is the shirt I got. Yeah. They're wearing it, and they're telling us the stories, and and you know, and they, you know, will they'll they'll say, "You guys are on track. You guys are there. You're getting it." And the enthusiasm's there, and it keeps us going because we've got kind of a meter to go by. 
um, from what we do. Because there's only so much footage of Led Zeppelin live, so the rest is, you know, the memories of others. And it's great to be, we've been getting nothing but extreme positive feedback all the way, and it's great. Yeah, now that was going to be my next question was, as far as, you know, when you, when you guys approach a song, are you looking at, you know, how is it played on presence, or are you going back and looking at how the West was won, or the song remains the same, or where, what do you use, you know, because you're playing essentially studio songs that everybody knows, but you're playing them live, are you trying to pay homage to how they would have played them live, or you sticking more to the studio version? Excellent question. Um, we actually do a, a bit of both. Um, we already know that um, there's going to be diehard fans of Led Zeppelin that are going to come to a concert to really just see if it's even possible to be done. And they're mm-hmm. going to come there with that scrutinizing eye to really watch us. And for them only, we'll delve into some deep cuts of live material from film, Song Reads the Same, or, or from, some, from the BBC or something from right. How the West Was One. And it, but I also realized, of course, that the majority of the fans today, you know, some of them have no idea really about Led Zeppelin. They they listen to the music that what they heard on the radio, but they've never seen. Um, we've had fans say, "Oh wow, so that's what they look like," and they're like, "Yeah, oh, yeah you know, of course, you know," because they but they listen to the music and they love it. So you got to kind of you we think of both sides. You know, I want the people who are not really diehard fans to enjoy themselves. In order to do that, you want to play what they're used to hearing, and so we do kind of lean towards what they heard on the radio or in the studio. We, we can emulate that, but at the same time, we do throw in the live bits to um, to give it a little bit of spice. And then, uh, you know, in each 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 time, there is some, definitely there's some tunes that are handpicked for the diehard fanatical, you know, fans yeah. out there of Led Zeppelin, yeah. who you know were probably even there at the concert. You know, I mean, we'll. We do a few songs for them also. So, anyway, I mean that's that's kind of how we do. It. We taste it that way, and, and overall response has been amazing so far. So we're we're you know we're doing that for now. Has it surprised you throughout your time with No Quarter how audiences have kind of embraced you know the the tribute sort of bands? I know, uh, you know, from our own you know dealing with our audience and, and things you know there was a lot of i think resistance t- to some of these acts early on you know that's just a knockoff they can't write their own song but i i seen over the last you know number of years where people tend to em- seem to really embrace it and i know for example a uh, brit floyd uh, is a one of the predominant uh, pink floyd bands they do two nights in pittsburgh almost every year at a, you know a pretty nice theater um, you know, I've seen, you know, we just had a, a pretty successful Freddie Mercury tribute come through town. I mean, some of these are becoming almost as big, well, not as big, obviously, but still much, much bigger than I would have ever expected um, for these bands that are coming through and do this. Does that surprise you how they've it's kind of grown? Not with the talent I've seen in the industry. It really doesn't surprise me. Um, there's some amazing talents out there. There are, there are those who hold themselves a tribute band and they'll learn a song and, and they are they are paying tribute to what they love. But then there's a, then there are the artists that really delve into their character um, and really put it out there, or they or they put it into the sound and the production. Like I mean, Brit Floyd's production songs chart, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, and, so, and they've 
you know, you can tell a band like that really um, hones in on the essence of what Pink Floyd would be like to see. Yeah. If um, you know if they were out on tour right now, and they would they would really, um, you know, dial that in note for note. Um, and and I'd say Freddie Mercury would do the same. He's, he's really probably focused on on the character where you're thinking you are literally feel like you're seeing him. And, and for the diehard fans that never got to see Queen, you know, or Led Zeppelin or anybody like that, um, if you really put it out there and do it right, there you're you're helping them relive something or or at least guess or think what it would have been like to see them. Yeah. Um, Rain did that for me with the Beatles. So um, I, I totally, I come from, you know, when I put this together and, you know, the whole thought process about it, mm. it was geared towards how I felt when I saw the Beatles because I never did get to see them. And uh, I was thoroughly impressed by everything they, the whole structure of how they did their show. And so we put Zeppelin in the same category as it's got to be at this level. To yeah. begin with, and when you have the bar at that high and you hit it, it's great, you know. And it's it's um, it's something really good for the fans because we're fans too. I mean, that's the thing. We're fanatical fans, just like everybody else out there. So we get it. And but the energy that gets created in the rooms when when you know when you're, when, the, when a band is dialed in, it could be us, it could be Floyd, anybody. And that you know when when you dial it in and you really put it out there, and the fans respond. There's a certain energy. Creating the room, it's, it's overpowering. It's amazing, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that some of these bands are really, really successful because it's starting to happen. People, audiences know quality when they see it. Right. You know, people with fans of a band, they know quality and they'll they'll honor that and they'll be loyal to that. And and we're loyal to them for that. So we Did, always want to strive to do better the next time. So it's great. Does it frustrate you when you see kind of hacks doing, you know? And I use the word tribute there very loosely because, you know, you'll see five guys who, you know, get up and play Journey songs that sound nothing like Journey, look nothing like Journey, zero production. Uh, it's just basically making a easy set list. Does that kind of stuff, you know, for lack of a better word, piss you off when you see that kind of giving tributes a bad name? Um, I, you know... It, it, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it really packs me off because, if anything, it makes them look good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't, Great answer uh, there. That's... I mean, it's kind of funny, you know, but I mean, I, uh, but at the same time, it's probably just where they're at. They, you know, I no corner with your faces. Yeah. Um, and so there's just a different face. So I, I you know, when I. You know, when I first got it, it was like, oh, yeah, they're not that great because they're not doing a good job. So, oh, I hope they open for us. You know, I was like that. <laughs> it didn't really make us really shine because we were not at the phase that we were at now. And, and, but when I look at bands, I just think, well, they're probably in phase one or phase two on their way to phase eight. You know, whatever it is they've got to do. They, they probably just found their members and they're just grateful to get out on stage. And then they'll get, you know, then they'll listen to some video playback or whatever, or, you know, and then start critiquing it start to improve at all because that's kind of how it's what we did I mean I was lucky though because I found guys right from the bat that were fanatical on their character right so it wasn't hard you know I lucked out um but I've gone through that 15 process where you're finding the right guys yeah and uh it takes time so when I look at the band I don't I'm really not too judgmental anymore on it I really just kind of think well they're, they're, they're getting it they're out there they'll get where they need to go and you know that's the main thing is they're out there doing it because do you, you know 
live entertainment needs to keep going no matter what. I feel. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, I would be remiss to have a interview without mentioning, well, an interview on the subject of Led Zeppelin or anything even remotely related to Led Zeppelin without asking. Um, do you foresee some point in in your your career maybe doing a Greta Van Fleet tribute band? No, I don't think either. And it's like it's kind of weird because it's like um, I don't know. I I've heard a lot of people talk about them. Um, I personally don't think they sound like Zeppelin. I, I, I mean, to me, the singer reminds me more of an early Getty Lee. Yeah. Um, and I mean that as a compliment. I don't mean it. I, I don't, he doesn't sound to me like Robert Plant, but he does sound really like. I thought it was an early Rush band because that voice is just so penetrating and powerful. But um, it's kind of weird because that's a great band, but some of the. I, and some people have been hearing the negative comments on these guys and that, you know because they're being compared to someone as iconic as Zeppelin yeah. that it's, uh, it's tough to live up to I know because we're trying to do it with a tribute right. you know it's a tough band to even be emulating and let alone being compared to when you're writing originals that doesn't really sound like it because the diehard fanatics are going to shred them but to me it's like um, I think it's a great band that's starting out and uh, I think it's amazing that young kids are, are doing that blues based rock yeah. hard rock and and giving it some feel and writing some positive stuff. I'd rather just focus on them sounding good instead of trying to compare it to some icons and, and have it, you know, because there's always haters out there that love to hate. And, you know, you just, I don't know, I just, yeah. I'd rather, to me, it's just a great new band. So that's kind of how I look at it. It's interesting you mentioned the Getty Lee because in my review of their album, that was one of the worst things I had said. One of them, it sounds like it could be lifted off the first Rush album, um, more so than the Didn't first Zeppelin. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Oh, absolutely. It, like, right off of Fly By Night or something yeah. like that. The guy was just amazing. And yeah. to me, that's what he sounds more like. But, you know, they're more bluesy-based. So if you take a high voice and put a little blues-based kind of, you know, good yeah. rock jam, they're thinking, they, you know, you're, like, psychologically thinking, oh, that one must be like that one. It's not close, really. I mean, they're in their own realm. They should they should stay there and not try to emulate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. There was a band that back in the late 90s or early 90s that tried to emulate Zeppelin to the point where they got shut down. I can't remember the name of them now. That they was King, really King, close to Kingdom Come. Yeah. Kingdom Come. Remember yeah. that band? Oh, yeah. Spot on. Yeah, they, they, they were so close to scary. And I, th- I think they got shut down because of it. I think the, the the biggest mistake they made was was in an interview that the singer did where he'd said he'd never heard Led Zeppelin, which was about the most asinine remark you could ever make. Is a rock singer you've never heard Led Zeppelin? I mean, that's it would have it would have been better up. Yeah. You know, it's an honor to be compared. You know, we we you know we hope their fans enjoy our music, whatever. But trying to play stupid like you never heard of Led Zeppelin was just a career suicide. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, all over the crying on that. You can't, you know, people, fans are smart. You know, uh, we're all fans of music, and we're not, you know, we all know the music how it needs to go. And when you're listening to it and dialing it in, it's, it's, you know, always think of the fan in the audience. What are they going to think of it? They're going to like it, and Mm. you know. So when you're out there projecting, they're getting it. And, And even in interviews, if you're talking like that, and like the guy. Kingdom was doing, you got to really be thinking, well, what would people think if you said that? How would you feel if you heard that? And, yeah. man, too bad. Because I, I thought the band was great. 
know, yeah. I saw them in concert at the Monsters and Rock with Van Halen and Metallica and Scorpions. I thought they were great. Yeah. But, you know, they were, they sound more, way more like my Zeppelin than, than the other, than the guys today do. I think these young yeah. kids. And, yeah. And it's, it's sad to compare them to such a great band because they're just starting out and, you know, what a burden. I wouldn't even, I'd, sh- I'd shy away from that and just stick with what they got because they got yeah. something good. Yeah, exactly. They're positive well, and they're powerful and it's great. And they're doing something right. They're putting a lot of rear ends in seats. So more power to them. Yeah, well, that's Bri- the main thing. Yeah, more power to them, man. Yeah. Well, Brian, I want to thank you again. You are going to be coming through uh, No Quarter, a tribute to Led Zeppelin's Legacy on January 26th at the Hard Rock Cafe. That's, a, I believe, a 10 o'clock show that night. So uh, I wish you uh, uh-huh. safe, safe travels into Pittsburgh and we'll see you when you get here, man. Thanks so much. We will literally be coming through the land of the ice and snow. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to it. All right. Awesome. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. Uh, I want to thank Brian Christensen of No Quarter. Again, they'll be doing a show on the 26th at the Hard Rock Cafe in Pittsburgh. And also Frankie Benelli of Quiet Ride. Again, their new album, One Night in Milan, drops on the 25th. They will be in Pittsburgh, um, technically Warrendale, Pennsylvania, to do a show at Jurgles on February 1st. So two shows that are coming up uh, really, really soon. We invite you to visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter are all forward slash ironcityrocks. We'd also love to hear from you, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. What do you like about the show? What do you not like about the show? Um, and invite you to check us out. We're on uh, iTunes. I've uh, been there for 10 years now. Uh, this will actually mark the 10th anniversary of the show. And also, uh, we're now on Spotify. Uh, you can get us on the Google Play Store. Uh, so really, anywhere you want to listen, uh, we're available on radio.com, uh, etc. So no excuse uh, not to listen. So I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I invite you to check out the previous 400. So until next time, thank you so much.